Right, good morning, everyone. It's great to be here tonight. Yo. It is evening. That maybe explains my day. So this, this weekend, I had the privilege to be with family. So we were in Bloemfontein. It was very cold. Um, it's a bit warmer here, but just a bit. Um, yeah, so good evening from my side. My name is Gideon, and it's uh, really a privilege to be here tonight. And uh, yeah, thankful for we had a baby shower, and my um, brother-in-law is getting a, a, a daughter. Uh, so we're really excited for this time in our family, like new life, just seeing God's hand in it. And um, yeah, excited to be here. Thankful to be in Pretoria safe, um, but I didn't put in that nap which maybe would have been wise. Um, but thankful to be here tomorrow. I'm flying out to Namibia to join the Namibia mission, and uh, it's really going there, well there with the mission. And uh, there's a church plant there that we're going to just support this, this next, it's already a week on, so we're continuing the support. Um, but we are really looking forward to it. We are working through the book of Colossians. Now, if you've been with us, it's been a profound series. I'm really thankful for this book. And uh, the, the way that Paul wrote it is quite interesting because Paul was never at this church. Um, so it's almost like giving advice to a family that you were never at. It's this interesting concept. So Paul, uh, a colleague of Paul actually planted this church. Now, um, Paul is actually hearing reports of this church and he's seeing good things happening, but now he's like speaking into things that he's hearing, some, some reports that's happening. So we are busy with the book of Colossians. So first week we spoke about the, the preeminence of Christ, that Jesus is first. He is the A to Z, he is the priority, he is, he is, it's about Jesus. And then last week, Eugene preached about the sufficiency, that, that Jesus, he is the one that directs our worldview, how we see things, how we behave, it is directed from Jesus. So preeminence, sufficiency, two big words. Uh, if you've missed it, please go recap, because this chapter, chapter three, really builds off those first two. So first two is very like theology heavy, and now we're getting into the how does this life then look like? So tonight we're doing chapter three, Colossians chapter three, and um, the title for tonight is Christ is Life. Okay? Christ is Life. And uh, I want to read fast from verse, uh, we're going to read together Colossians. If you just get there in my Bible, you're welcome to page to Colossians 3. We're going to read from verse 1 to verse 17. If you then have been raised with Christ, Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of all these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, 
but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful that the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray together. Yes, Father, we thank you for this word, uh, for this letter that was written to the church in Colossae. And now I pray, Lord, that even although these words are written to them, Lord, I thank you that it has significance in our lives today. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and teach us your word. And Holy Spirit, I just want to welcome you to come, to come and meet every person here tonight, Lord. Come and meet us. Come and reveal to us your truth by your word, God. We just open up our hearts to you and that we would experience your grace and your freedom in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you've been with us through this series, you know that there's a unique context to the Colossians. So what is happening, it's a, it's a church, but they are being influenced by the culture around them. So there was a lot of different religions and cultures, and the Christians, the church, started to almost like evolve their beliefs to the others. So they were like mixing other religions to Christianity. So Paul is then writing to them to correct wrong teaching. He's writing them to, to do this now, in light of this, do this. So Paul is really teaching and instructing them, and the two main teachings that we see is like he's highlighting the sufficiency of Jesus as well as the supremacy. So the sufficiency that God is enough, God satisfies, and God is preeminent. He is first. He is supreme. He is above everything. But here, there's this transition chapter from the first two chapters or this transition section where he just highlights almost like a summary of the previous two. And he's saying, because of this, live this way. So let's read that first section. So Colossians 3 verse 1 to 4 is that first section. It says, If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. 
So what Paul is stating here is that your, your life is hidden in Christ. You have been raised with Christ, therefore seek the things. So it's almost like this, uh, the English word is like this indicative, it's like this indicative language. Because of this, because of your new identity in Christ, because of your salvation, because of your in Christness, if I can call it like that. Because of this, do this. Like because of you are in Christ. You have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now, right hand sounds for us like a positional thing, like it's not left, it's right. Um, But it's actually quite important in the Jewish culture where the right hand was a position of honor. It was a position of, uh, like you are seen as on the same level as me. If I say, come to my right hand, then I would be placed like next to you. So when Christ is seated at the right hand of God, what it's actually saying is that Jesus is God, okay? Jesus is God, and he has the seat of honor according to the Father. So can I borrow someone's seat? Can I, can I take this seat? Thank you so much. So let's say this is now this seat. Seated, so Jesus is seated. Where? At the right hand of God. So, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. Now, Matthew 6, verse 33 speaks of this. Like, because Jesus is seated in the heavenly realms, like, or next to the Father, seek the things that are above. So, seek the things of the kingdom. Seek the things of heaven. Matthew 6, verse 33, it says, seek first the kingdom of God. So, when we see where Jesus is seated, it's not a high enough stage, but... We need to seek Christ, where He is. Our focus is set on Him. It says they seek the things that are above. Now, how do we access then this, where Christ is? It says we are raised then with Christ. And the, and the scripture says that the only way that we can be seated with Christ is if we die with Christ. It says there that you were seated, for you have died and your life is hidden in Christ. And when Christ, is, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him. So it speaks of the second coming as well here, but it says that when we are in Christ, when we have died and we have resurrected in Christ, that that is where our life is. It is in the resurrection of Jesus. So the first point from that is that the, there is new life in Christ. And this is the theological foundation. It's fundamental for us to know that whatever follows now now, is from that position. It's from the position of being seated with Christ. We are seated with him. We are focused on the things of heaven. So this is not a message to the world. This is a message to the church, to those who are in Christ. It says that we are called to live a new life in Christ. So... Let's imagine this seat is a representation of, of your heart. Where is Christ seated in your heart? Does he have the place of honor? Does he have the place of supremacy, the first position, the most important position? Or has he just taken a seat? Maybe your Sundays he has taken, or your religion he has taken, or your family has taken, but what about your time, your social media, 
your finances. Where is Christ seated? So that was sort of like the foundation to the preaching. Okay, now we're getting to the sermon. Okay, so there is new life in Christ. Now Paul goes on and he says, now there's three things you have to do. You have to start some things, you have to stop some things, and you have to continue some things. All right, are you guys ready? Okay. So firstly, there's some things that we need to stop. In this new life, because of this, we need to stop. So verse 5, it says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now, put to death, is, that, is not, that is not not strong language. That is very obviously, Paul is making a statement. He's saying, put to death. He's not saying, hide it away, suppress it, avoid it. He's saying, put to death. That language is actually like mortify this. Make it a dead body. Put it to death. Put to death sexual immorality. Now, it, it lists there five things. Now, the first four we can group together really under the... the um, the word sexual immorality, other translations use fornication. But sexual immorality is really anything sexual outside of marriage. Okay? Sexual immorality, just the basic definition, is anything sexual outside of marriage. Now, I'm not going to assume everyone in here knows what is marriage. So I can I define that as well? Okay, you're with me. We're defining now marriage. We define sexual immorality. Now we're defining marriage, okay? But I'm not going to define it. God already defined it. Genesis 2, verse, Genesis 2, verse 24 to 25 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. See, marriage is already defined by God. So anything sexual outside of that is sexual immorality. It is sin. And, and Paul is instructing this church that put to death sexual immorality. Now, the Bible is clear that it speaks of a husband, a male, and a wife, female. That's it. Already defined. It says... When a husband and a wife, when God joins these two together, that is marriage. That's the only definition we have. It's the only definition we need. So this moment where Jesus was with the women, and he quoted a, a law from, from Exodus. And he said in verse, chapter 5, Matthew, chapter 5, verse 27, he said, what you have heard, that is what was said. It says, you shall not commit Adultery. So this was one of the laws of the Ten Commandments that, that Moses had and he gave to his people. So Jesus is quoting this, so it's still relevant, this law, because Jesus is quoting it. He says, you shall not commit adultery. Fair. And we would say, yes, adultery is when like, I'm married, so adultery is whenever I cheat on my wife or someone else, that's adultery. But Jesus took it a bit further, and he said, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman lustful in, with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
So what Jesus is saying here, even if you just have a lustful thought, even if the thought of what you have is sinful, it is as if you have committed that sin. Okay? If the thought that you have is sinful, if you do it, that is already a sin as if you did it. Now, sexual morality today looks different. So, and the reason why it looks different because culture changes throughout the years, customs changes, history changes. So we don't like do sexual morality maybe in the Old Testament like they recorded it, but sexual morality looks different. Sexual morality may be the, the pages you follow on Instagram where you scroll and you look, you scroll and you look, social media. Sexual morality can be a thought that you have and you see an other lady and you just keep on staring. Or sexual morality can be like you have this thought of one day I'm going to do this with my husband, but you're not really married yet. So you're, you're doing something sexual, a thought or an action that's outside of the confounds of marriage. Smith, uh, Kevin Smith, he said, one moment of pleasure can destroy a life of purpose. And God can forgive the sin, but it will not remove its effects. See, one moment of pleasure can destroy a life of purpose. And what has become so normal in our culture is for people to, to move together, to stay together, sleep overnight. And what we are doing there is we are playing with the boundary of marriage, where the boundary is clear, but what we're doing is we go into that area and say, how close to this boundary can I become? How close can I play? And what we do many times and what what actually when people say we want to move in together because we want to see if it works. Now, that's pretty much the definition of an experiment. You're doing an experiment, bringing two things together. What's going to be the reaction? Is it, am I going to be satisfied with the results? And people do thesis on experiments. Now, if we treat relationships as experiments, then it's always going to produce performance. Was I good enough? Am I good enough with how I speak? Am I good enough with how I am, with how we are? And when you enter into marriage, that will never change the foundation of your relationship because it was founded on an experiment. And that is not God's heart for, for marriage or for, for relationships. Marriage is not an experiment or relationship is not an experiment, but marriage is a covenant. It is where God says that that I come and I give my everything no matter what you do. And that is really what God did through his son. Jesus said, I'm sending my son to you, even though we did not ask him, even though we lived this, this horrible life. God, Jesus still came and, and he lived this perfect life. And the sign of this Jesus coming for his bride is this concept between a husband and a wife, is that I love my wife no matter what she does, no matter what she does good or does the washing or anything. <laughs> it is all within covenant that God has established. See, sexual immorality, why is it important to God? You see that whenever sexual immorality is committed, there's a break in relationship. There's a break in relationship between husband and wife. It's a break in relationship between 
if there's children involved, there's divorce, there's breaks in relationship. But more than that, there's, there's a break in relationship between us and God. So ex- sexual immorality is not the thing that we want to be okay with. Paul says, put to death, stop, put to death what is earthly among you, the, the sexual morality, the impurity, the, the passion, evil desire, covetousness. And covetousness speaks of where we, where we want something else. We have this desire for something or someone else that is not ours. And what we're really doing when we have all this together is that we're trying to find something in a person or object that we don't find in God. And then we don't really believe the first two chapters that is Christ sufficient? Is, does he have the honorable seat? Is Jesus enough? And we try to find things in our culture and try to find things in other people that only God can fulfill, that only Jesus can fulfill. It matters to God because you matter to him. God wants to be in relationship with you and whenever we keep on doing these things that Paul is calling us to put to death, we are breaking our relationship with God. You're bringing a divide. You're bringing something. You're bringing a stumbling block. And that's not God's heart. Verse 7, it goes on. It says, In these two, in these, you two once walked when you were living in them. But now we must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Verse 9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practice. So Paul is clear here that the sin we commit with our voice, with our language, with our bodies, we should put it all away. And you want a scripture that says, don't swear, don't slander, there's from scripture, is that when you are in Christ... When Jesus has the seat, your life looks different. And many times when we, when we lie, what we're actually doing is we're either trying to protect ourselves because we don't want to get caught out, we don't, don't want to be seen, don't want to be exposed. We're protecting ourselves. Or we are lying because we want to make ourselves look better. Because we just want to be better. So we lie and say, yes, I did do this work because I don't want to look bad. I don't want to... They want to have a rebuke, but, and you're almost like this fear settles in. And that's many times why we lie, is because we don't trust the sufficiency, supremacy of Jesus. So do you trust who Jesus is? Does he have the seat in your life? It says in verse 10, And you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge of the image of its creator. The good news here is that there is a process. There's a renewable process that the Holy Spirit does. It renews us. There's a continuous process of we are being renewed in knowledge of the image of its creator. And then verse 11, before we go to our next one, it says, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. That first word, year, it's, it's, it's almost like a, a positional word, like year, but not like year in Rome or year in, in Colossae, saying year in Christ. There's no Jew, there's no Greek, there's no Afrikaans, no English, no Sutu, no Twana, no rich, no poor, no 
nothing, like, it's not like we are now blind to all the different languages. We value different tribes, cultures. Neil spoke about that. But what it is saying is, what is the most important thing in your life? Is it your culture? Is it your status? Is it your history? Now, this, the barbarians was actually just a way of referring to non-Greeks. Now we have a different definition for such a barbarian. Um, it's not, not the same. Um, and it, the Scythians were like seen really as the lowest of the low. They traveled a lot. They were quite um, dirty. They didn't have like fixed toilets. You hear where I'm going? Um, but they just, the culture looked down on them. But when, when Paul said, but Christ is all and in all. Say, so Christ, he is all. He, it is all about him. That song we sang that Jesus, it's all about you. He is all and in all. He is enough. He is sufficient. Now we need to stop. We need to put to death. We need to destroy sin in our lives. And then what is uniting us? It is Jesus. It's all about him. Now that is the stop. Okay. Stop sinning. That's maybe the best way to summarize the last 50 minutes. But then he carries on, he's saying start. There's a start component to this. He then, then says, put on then with this position in Christ as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, being with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And when it speaks there, it uses this, this language, you chosen, holy, and beloved, which was actually a language God used for the Israelites in the Old Testament too. It was his people that was set apart, but now it's like linking this to the New Testament within the church. Now when I read the stop, or the, the, the stop part, it's almost like I see how bad I am. And when I read this, Verse 12 to 14, I, I see how good I am not. If you hear what I'm saying? It's almost like it's, this, this, it's just these two standards that is very hard to upkeep, but that does not mean because the standard is high that it is not the truth. But it says here that we are chosen, holy, and beloved. And we need, as the church, as those in Christ, we need to put on compassionate hearts. We need to love one another. We need to forgive each other. Like how many times, as many times as Jesus has forgiven you. Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So also you must forgive. There may be unforgiveness in this room. There's people in this room that you may be there's something, it's a stumbling block, or there's an offense, or was taken. But God calls us that we are the church. We forgive each other. It's just what we do. We forgive each other. We are compassionate. We are loving towards each other. And it's really like summarizing that, that words that God is calling us to love people. God is calling us to stop, to start, and also to continue. It says in verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And God is calling us to continually be in peace where Christ 
rules in our hearts. The peace of Christ rules. It says, let the word of Christ dwell richly, teaching, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs of thankfulness in our hearts to God. That is why we sing worship music where it's the word of God. It's from the Bible. It's truth that we sing and we praise God with it. But it is with the foundation that may we dwell in the word of Christ. May we rest in the word. May we study God's word. May we continue reading the word of God. And whatever you do in verse 17, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. See, whenever we do something in the name of Jesus, we are glorifying God. We are glorifying him. And to make this practical, I, I thought of this like if you do anything, let's say you watch a movie and you imagine Jesus sitting next to you, would he watch it with you and would it glorify him? Can you watch this TV series in the name of Jesus? Can you follow this Instagram account in the name of Jesus? Would it bring honor to him? Can you go into this relationship with this guy in the name of Jesus? Would it honor him? Will you have these expenses in your life? Do these things in your life where you can do it in the name of Jesus. Is your life reflecting the name of Jesus? Is Jesus on the seat of your heart? God is calling us to do this. And when we glorify God with everything we do, the Lord Jesus' name is lifted high. As I conclude with this statement that Christ is life. See that we live this new life in Christ because not of us meeting the standard. Maybe I can ask with a raise of hands that you don't have to raise your hand. If you are failing in one of these things, and you, you're thinking of that, that thing, or that emotion, or that thought, or that action, how, how's that, how do we respond to this? And as I was preparing for this, this sermon, I'm like, this is a tough message, tough chapter. But those words, may the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. It is not about you achieving this. And I'm going to ask you to, to close your eyes and, and to imagine the seat. Who's, who or what has the seat of honor in your heart, in your thoughts, in your emotions? Who has the seat of honor? What is the most important? Is there a man sitting on that seat? Is there a career that is sitting on the seat?
just where you are, just reflect on that for a moment. So Holy Spirit, we come and invite you to come and to come and heal. You see every person's heart, every anxiety, every pressure, every desire. You see, God, that you don't want to live in sin. Because Jesus, you are worthy of it all. You are Christ. You are all and in all Jesus. In this moment, I just pray that the peace of Christ will come and rule your hearts. Come and rule in our hearts, Jesus. And we thank you that we can stand in that position that we are in Christ, that there is life in Christ. And if you are here tonight and you realize like your life is not hidden in Christ, you haven't put him on that seat, you have not made him Lord, you have not made him rule your life where you say, where you say Jesus, you are Lord. You rule. You are sufficient. If you want to just respond in humility with just a raise of your hand saying, Jesus, I come and put you on the seat of honor in my life. I just want to invite you to raise your hand as a, as a response in humility. Spirit, you see every hand raised. And how we respond to this is we just repent. Just say, sorry, God. There where you are in your heart, just say, sorry, Jesus. For finding my sufficiency in other things. Where I should be finding my life in you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I, I pray now that, that your truth will come and set free. Lord, whoever, each person repents it now and you know what's that specific thing you had to repent of, God. I pray that you said that those if we repent, God, that you are, you are able to heal, you're able to, to come and bring victory. When we see the truth, we repent. God, we stand in faith in you, Jesus. And it's not about us come and filling that seat, God, but it's us removing ourselves from that seat and saying, Jesus, this is yours.